Good morning saunterers, we are back on sauntering again and today I have a live studio audience but I cannot disclose identities. <laughs> so we're here in the office at Chapel Hay and if you'd like to come and share with me live while I'm actually recording you're welcome to do that um, as long as you're here by 20 past 8 otherwise you'll be a disruption and we wouldn't want that. So anyway, we're in the book of Hebrews today, and I absolutely love this book. It's such an amazing book, and uh, it because I think it just puts Jesus center stage. Good morning, Paul. Good to see you. I hope things are well with you, and uh, so I'm going to pray and just ask God to help us. Lord Jesus, thank you that this book is all about you, and I pray today, as we look at it, you will speak to us and you'll reveal yourself to us and shine into our lives with fresh brightness and clarity in your precious name. Amen. Good morning, Mark. and Good morning, Forchi. Great to see you, lovely people. So um, the book of Hebrews then. Now, we don't know who wrote it. There's all kinds of theories. Theologians love to get their teeth into that one. For many years, I believed it was the Apostle Paul simply because I'd seen in a Bible the letter of Paul to the Hebrews. Evidently, it probably may not have been Paul. Good morning, Fran. Great to see you. Um, but it, there are many theories. One that I particularly like is that it was by Priscilla and Aquila. And maybe Priscilla kept her identity secret because she was a woman. Who knows? There is, a, there is a bit of grammar in there that suggests it was written by a man, but we'll leave that to the experts. But this is an amazing book, and it seems to be addressed to Jewish believers living in Jerusalem. And it's the whole point of it seems to be to draw attention to Jesus and the significance of Jesus but also to really encourage these guys to not give up and lose heart and fade out of the picture, but to hang on to the reality of the gospel that they believed. So the good news that they'd received and believed, this was to encourage them to keep going and hang in there. So it starts off with this amazing prologue where it introduces Jesus. And these these words have become like such a main plank of theology. And particularly what is, here's another little um, jargon term, Christology, the study of Christ and who he is. These words have become like central in our understanding and the Christian understanding of Jesus and his identity. So here we go. So long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So I'm going to stop there. So long ago, so all the way through the Jewish history, God had been speaking in all kinds of ways, giving pictures and snapshots and narratives and stories and prophecies and visions and all these different kind of things through our to our father, to our fathers, sorry. So their forefathers to the people that this 
person is addressing this letter to, he's saying, your fathers, our fathers, were hearing from God in all kinds of ways through the prophets. And so when we look at the Old Testament scriptures, we see the God's dealings and God's kind of um, various initiatives and messages to his people, the Israelite nation, and their forefathers, and, and it comes in the form of stories and prophecies and words of wisdom, and it, you have to say that it's at many times and in many ways. God doesn't just, doesn't just speak in one way through the Old Testament, but he speaks in a multiplicity of ways, all kinds of ways, a variety. And so this is, so what he's saying is we have this mosaic of um, prophetic and teaching um, words from the prophets that have been spoken to us over the generations, but now something different is happening. So that was then, that was an era, that was a distinct epoch of time, and in times past, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by his son. Now, the last days is a term that appears throughout scripture, throughout the Bible, and it is what we would call an eschatological term. It's talking of the end of all things, the end times in these last days. And so for really since time began, I suppose there's been an understanding somewhere in people's minds of since perhaps the fall in the Garden of Eden, there's been an expectation that this world will pass away ultimately. And the end of all things is the, I guess, is the end times or the last days. And the Bible speaks about that a lot. And it speaks about it in the Old Testament. We're not going to get swallowed up in it today, but except to say that the writer uses that term in these last days. And for the Jew, their understanding was that in the last days, the Messiah would come and these would be, the last days would be called the days of the Messiah. And they had certain expectations of what the Messiah would do, namely liberate Israel, the nation, from all of its previous oppressors and um tyrants from different, you know, different uh, people like, shall we say, the Romans or the Persians or the Babylonians, all these different people who had oppressed the nation of Israel, that the, when the Messiah came, he would be the one, he would be anointed by God to set them free from all this oppression and they would live in this beautiful new epoch, this new era of the days of the Messiah. And so, the writer to the Hebrews is connecting with that expectation and saying, actually, in these last days, he's spoken to us by us by his son. Now, he didn't just speak through his son. He spoke to us by his son. And that's really different. So he, instead of speaking through the prophets, now he's sending or at least he's he's done the speaking through the prophets. Now he's actually sending someone to be his absolute identical representative on the earth. And if you look at the language, it's so incredible. So number one, he, this son is the heir of all things. So he's not just a um, 
bit bit part player, but actually he's the one who everything is about. The whole of creation, the whole sweep of history is about this son, Jesus Christ. And he says he is the he is appointed the heir of all things. So everything is for him. Everything that you can see around you, all of history is for him. He's the one who inherits it. And he's also the one who created it. So he, through whom he also created the world. And so what the writer does in these few short verses is wraps up this whole sweep of history and succinctly, from the very, very beginning, succinctly puts it, um, not Jesus as not just a character in the story, but as the main character, the writer, the author of the story. It's not, it's about him, and it's by him, and it's for him. And we have a, a really similar parallel passage in Colossians chapter 1, which you can look up in your leisure and just it's really interesting just to compare the two because they really do um they almost are mirror images of each other and so he's appointed him to be the heir of all things and through whom he also created the universe or created the world verse 3 listen to this he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature he is the radiance we don't, at the moment, I'm forgetting what it's like to have the sun out. But actually, just a few days ago, I was in Sri Lanka and the sun was radiant. It was 35 degrees. It was absolutely stunning. And if you'd have gone outside in the heat of the day and put your hand on a stone slab or a concrete slab, good morning, Joan, um, or put your hands on the tarmac, it would have felt really, really hot. If you touched a piece of metal, it would have been really hot. Because the radiance of the sun, the, the invisible and visible radiance of the sun was acting on the molecules in those things and making them respond. And, and what the writer here is saying is actually Jesus is the radiance of God. He's the visible aspect of God. So God who is invisible now is visible in this sun. He is the radiance, the outshining, the visible representation of God. He's the effect of God's radiance on the earth. Here he is when the sun strikes these rocks and, and agitates the little molecules and makes them hot. Jesus, in the same way, was moving around the earth and affecting people and touching their lives by the glory of God, by the shining out of God. I hope you can get that. It's a really beautiful picture. But listen to this. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He's not just saying God is like me. He's saying I am God. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus didn't didn't kind of hide himself away and say, oh, no, no, you know, it's not, not about me. He actually said, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The things that I do, I only do what I see the Father doing. And it's as if, if, if you like, God took a lump of clay and pressed his own face into that clay. So it wasn't just a bit like him. It's the exact imprint of the nature of God. Wow. <laughs> right, here we go. Listen to this because it gets even better. He says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
This is not small. This is incredible. There are scientists today with colossal IQs and incredible resumes who are working on the, the, a subject called um, string theory, where they believe that somehow there are these invisible strings that hold the universe together. It's a great idea. And without string theory, a lot of the other theories don't seem to work. But good morning, Lisa. Good to see you. But here's the writer to the Hebrews, this person writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, actually, the whole thing is held together by the word of his power. He holds the universe. So even in back in those ancient days, 2000 years ago, when this book was written, they understood that the universe had to be held together somehow. And we kind of look back with a kind of patronizing postmodern mindset. And we say, oh, they didn't know. They were primitive. They didn't understand these things. Come on. These guys were not primitive. They were experts. They had a highly developed civilization. They were super intelligent, just like the people around today. <clears throat> they were great thinkers whose thinking, like Aristotle, has still affected um, it still affects us today. The Apostle Paul in his writings affects the whole world today. The sayings of Jesus affect the whole world still today. These guys were not some primitive creatures living in a cave, kind of going around clubbing people. These were smart people. And so they understood that the universe had to somehow be held together. And he says, or she says, it's held together. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So cool. And then, then it goes on to say, after making purification for sins. Right, this is a really, woohoo, introducing such a major theme now. So we're going to, this is going to stay, so these themes are going to stay with us throughout the book. This is a prologue, it's the first word. So he's saying, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Well, who's the majesty on high? It's God himself, isn't it? So this person, this son, has made purification for sins. Let's just say that in one breath. And, and it's like we can lose the significance of that. He paid the price, as we're going to discover as we read on through, for the sins of the whole world by suffering in his own body and being crucified, nailed to a cross. Somehow this son has done this incredible work. It's just beyond our little kind of tiny brains to comprehend. He's done this incredible thing. But now he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You don't just sit down next to God. That isn't something you do. This is the Ah, oh, this is the creator of the universe. And now Jesus, this son that we're talking about, this imprint of his nature, this radiance of the glory of God, has now sat down next to him. Job done. I've finished, Dad. It's all done. So he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become... As much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And now we're going to have a little 
bit of scripture kind of exposition, or we're going to listen to the writer to the Hebrews unpacking some scriptures that really shows how Jesus, the son, is so much more superior to angels. Now, we understand that angels are very, very powerful. They're often, when people have seen them, they're much bigger than we are. They tend to be glorious and impressive. And often people's first instinct is to fall to the ground in terror because they don't know what's going on. But this this writer now is telling us that actually Jesus has become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So angels are servants. As we see at the end of the chapter, Jesus is the son. Now, there's just a little bit that we want to tease out here because it says he has become much, much superior to angels, as if suggesting that somehow he wasn't. What happened was, as we read on through the book, we'll discover that Jesus, for a period of time, took on the nature, took on a subservient role, if you like. He took on the nature of a servant. If we read the book of Philippians, we see Paul there saying he became nothing. He emptied himself. It's called, the theologians call that the kenosis, where where Jesus emptied himself and took on the nature of a servant, humbled himself and became a human being, which is most incredible. And so for a period of time, Jesus came as a servant and he humbled himself. And yet, then he sits down at the right hand of God, the majesty on high. And we realize, wow, <laughs> this servant is truly exalted. He is like properly the top guy. And so it was just for a period of time. Let's read on verse five. And now he's going to quote various scriptures. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I've begotten you. He never said that. So it's a rhetorical question. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Verse 6 is such a clincher for me. He says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Now, we know whenever angels appear in the Bible and um, the person they're appearing to is awestruck and they fall down on their knees, the angels say, no, 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 don't worship me. Just worship God. I'm just a servant like you are. And uh, so, but here we see God saying, verse six, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And on that day when Jesus was born, we have that beautiful picture, don't we, of the shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly the sky is filled with angels and they're worshiping God and saying glory to God in the highest. And what's happened? This tiny baby has been deposited in an animal's feeding trough. And yet all these angels have burst out into the sky to come and worship him. Come on. This is not, this is not some second rate person. This is actually the second person of the trinity this is god the son this is the radiance of god's glory this is the exact imprint of his nature good morning annie and hazel and chris good to see you lovely people and so when people get complicated about jesus and try and say well he's not really if he's god's son how can he be god there's only one 
being in the whole universe who is permitted to receive worship legitimately, and that is God himself. And so if God says, let all his angels worship him at the point of Jesus's birth, then we have to assume that Jesus is God. He's not just less than God somehow, he is God and is deserving of all the angelic worship of heaven and of you and me and every living thing and the trees and everything, the birds and whatever else. So verse 7 of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So his angels are impressive, they're powerful. Verse 8, but of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, This is God addressing Jesus. He's saying, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So this is David, the, the king, writing this psalm. And it's, but it's God addressing Jesus as well and saying, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated wickedness. So this is all prophetically speaking of Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews pulls it out of the filing cabinet of scripture and says, look at these wonderful verses that were penned I don't know, 1,500, 1,100 years before Jesus appears on the earth and says, look at them. They're speaking about Jesus. They're speaking about the Son. Your throne, O God. Your throne, O God. Jesus is God. He's not like God. He is God. He is, and God has anointed him. So here we have this messianic hope. The word there for anointed is creo. In Greek, it's Mashiach. In Hebrew, it means anointed is the Messiah. Is the Messiah means the anointed one. And he, Jesus, God has made Jesus the Messiah, the Jewish hope, the expectation of all of the prophets, of all of the forefathers who've gone before. And he's saying, look, look at this guy. He is full of joy. He's been anointed with the oil of gladness beyond anyone else alive. So Jesus, man of sorrows, we, we discover from some scriptures, yet absolutely anointed with joy beyond anybody else ever to live, ever living. Verse 10, it says, and you... Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. This is Jesus laying the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will fold them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they, that is the angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so he's making this really, really strong contrast. He's pulling out these wonderful scriptures, these scriptures that were precious and well-known to his Jewish listeners. And he's saying they're all about Jesus. They're all about the Son of God. They're all about the Son. 
and he, how much greater than the angels is he? Although the angels are wonderful, they're flames of fire, they're winds, they're like these incredible forces that God can muster at his will to do whatever he wants to get done, and he can bring them to their influence to bear on the earth. Actually, at the end of the day, they're servants and they're ministering spirits sent out to serve the needs of God's people, the saints. And that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, just that verse alone is worth reading chapter one for. But at the same time, he's saying how much greater. He's making this con contrast between Jesus, the son, and the angels who everybody would say are great and amazing. But he's saying, look at this. There is one greater. There is one whom these awesome beings worship, and he is God the Son. And so, ladies and gentlemen, today, that's where we're going to park up, but I just want you to take away this thought. Jesus is the one the whole sweep of history is all about. It was ever thus. He is the messianic hope of the Jew. He is the answer to the whole of creation and the conundrum of what is life about for the Gentile, everybody else. And he's, oh, he's seated. He's done it. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high because he's finished the job he came to do. Wow. Good morning, Admire. Great to see you and congratulations on your beautiful baby. Let's pray. Jesus, we honour you today. We want, as we reflect on these scriptures today, these verses, Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts and give us more and more and more insight. But be close to us. Let us not just know about you, but let us know you. Let us feel the radiance of your power and your love operating on us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Have an amazing day, you guys. Take care and thanks for joining me. Do share it, like it, pass it around, and it will be appearing on YouTube shortly. Take care.